you have the Upgraded Life Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Sotelo. And in this episode, I'm going to bring you an author, Scott Newman. Scott is a young man with a big story to tell, so big that he has already written his memoir, and he's only 22 years of age. The title of his first book is called The Night Before the Morning After, and it details some of the crazy adventures and life lessons that he has accumulated thus far in his life. It was a fun conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it too. So let's buckle in and go for a ride with me and Scott Newman. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to the Upgraded Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Sotelo. The Upgraded Life is my personal project where I help people realize and reach their potential. I've been a professional helper for 20 years. Here's what I'm convinced of. The life that you have right now and the life that you want tomorrow is a product of your personal mindset, mission, and movement. Each episode of the Upgraded Life podcast is going to give you something that you can do as soon as the episode is over to upgrade your personal mindset. Your mindset informs your mission. Your mission tells you how to move every single day. And together, that is The Upgraded Life. All right, I'm here with myself and my audience, The Upgraded Life Podcast. I'm super excited to have a young man here by the name of Scott Newman. He is lots of things. I'm not going to steal his thunder by reading you this, uh, an overly lavish uh, intro or bio. Uh, he's got an incredible story to tell. He's early on in his story, for sure. And one thing I can tell you is he is enrolled at Princeton. He's an author. And his current book, the one that he has right now that he's promoting, is The Night Before the Morning After. He's shown me a picture of it so I don't mess up the title because I was doing that in the pre-rehearsal here. So, Scott Newman, I appreciate you for taking the time. You're in Australia. I'm on the West Coast of the U.S. It's dark here. It's light there. Uh, super blessed to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be doing this. Absolutely. So I don't. there's a lot of places where we could start this, uh, but let's just start with what in the world is your book about? Uh, well, the book itself uh, is a memoir, actually, um, about the last uh, seven or so years of my life. Um, in that time, you know, from the, like, I think it starts at like 14 and goes up to the time I was 21, I've attracted quite a bit of chaos, um, had quite a few crazy stories, everything from getting, like, basically abducted in, in the Jordanian desert by a group of angry Bedouins to getting deported from England and watching my boss get shot and traveling to, like, close to 40 countries. Um, and so the book is really, um, it, you know, it's a coming of age story. It's uh, the stuff I, you know, lived, loved and, and, and learned along the way. And, uh, you know, I was really I was originally writing it as fiction because um, 22 year olds don't write memoirs. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, and so uh, people say, why, why are you writing a memoir? It's, it's kind of a funny story. I've always I've always been writing. Um, and you know, I was right. I was going to like writing workshops and doing short stories and fan fiction and flash fiction. And I wrote a novella when I was like uh, 16, um, and so like a short novel and, uh, that hasn't been published anywhere. And so I started writing this in, in fiction because fiction is what I know. And at one point, one of my editors said, Scott, where are you getting all these ridiculous, like crazy stories? Um, and I said, well, most of them are heavily rooted in truth. Um, this is all 
pretty much true based on my life. And he said, well, well, then write this as a memoir. And I said, okay, you take out the embellishing details and write the rest of it. And uh, 22 chapters, countless hours, a, uh, a lot of glasses of whiskey, quite a few uh, cigarette butts later. Um, here we are with uh, finished finished product. And um, I'm excited to be sharing it with the world. Absolutely. So is that book available now? Yes, the book is available on Amazon. Um, you can get it in, in Kindle, hardcover, whatever suits your fancy. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it covers uh, an enormous, well, we'll get into this, but yeah. an enormous amount of, of material. So uh, I think there's uh, something in there for everybody. All right. So let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from, I see, I, I could give some witty generic answer like I, I live on the road or something because I have moved around a lot but um, uh, primarily I'm from New York. Um, I, I grew up in New York City. Um, I lived in, in France for a while. I, I, I had a stint in Jordan. I currently live in Australia um, where I've been for about the past year but uh, if I had to call any place home it would be uh, New York City. Gotcha. All right so New York City and somehow some way it was your goal to get accepted to an Ivy League college. Did I get that right in some of the research that I did? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think, uh, you know, my, my journey or whatever you want to call it uh, started, started uh, before, before the college admissions process. Um, and that, that, that is uh, a part of the story, a small part. Um, but uh, after, you know, when I was um, uh, growing up uh, in New York, uh, my mother passed away after a long, uh, battle with cancer. Um, when I was 13. Um, a few years after that, my brothers and I, I'm a triplet, uh, went off to three different high schools and sort of forged our own paths. And um, I think, you know, part of part of the cultural moment we were living in um, at the time, and part of, uh, part of part of it was a cultural moment we were living in at the time, part of it was the high school that I was at, and part of it was um, just sort of a uh, decision that I, I woke up and made one morning. Um, I decided that I wanted to to get into like a, a top school with a single digit acceptance rate, which um, uh, which which was uh, at the in my mind it was a Harvard, Princeton, Yale, or Stanford, and um, you know there wasn't a lot of rhyme or reason to it. I think it was in in some ways the product of of uh, my environment and the American cultural moment where everyone's so obsessed with college admissions. Um, not for any particularly good reason, but um, certainly um, was was a child of that in some ways. And I woke up and um, um, and, and and did what I needed to do, figured out what I needed to do, and, and fought like hell for a few years to um, to get in. Um, so that's uh, that's definitely uh, part of the story, and I'm happy to talk about that if you want. Absolutely. So it ended up being a, a race that you didn't want to win. Um, well, it was a race that I did win that I, sorry, it was a race that I didn't want to win. Yeah. And when, when uh, you, were, you were in it, you're running it, you got in, but you're kind of like, what am I doing here? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, uh, I think it's certainly, um, like it was a race that I wanted to win while I was running it. Um, and then once I got there, I maybe questioned, uh, I questioned a lot of things. I think, you know, about, um, uh, American culture, the American mentality of saying of, of just sort of hyper competitiveness, like this sort of goal oriented materialism, this sort of like uh, always upwards slanting, um, uh, upwards slanting, striving towards towards some type of elitism. And uh, once I got there, I was um, just surprised in a lot of ways that 
you know, a lot of the things that I thought wouldn't be absent in, in, in a, uh, a lot of things that would be absent in, in the university experience um, were, were very much present. Uh, like, for example, um, you know, you, you go you go to university, you think so that um, you, you go in and, and you think that after four years, maybe you'll come out with a little bit more of an open mind. Um, one thing that I felt was that certainly within my first two years or so there, uh, a lot of people come in. Um, they come out of of uh, universities with uh, a bit more of a closed mind than an open one. Um, I felt in some ways that I mean, really, what it came down to was 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 two things. One was that the college admissions process I realized was broken. Um, it didn't make any sense um, to be like robbing these teenagers of 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 their adolescence and to be sealing kids' fates by by the time that they were you know fourteen years old or even earlier. You know, if you talk about what middle school, what you're doing in middle school, so mm-hmm. you can get into a good high school. Blah blah blah. Um, so certainly, I think the college admissions process doesn't have a lot of rhyme or reason to it and has gone off the rails. Um, with these, you know, six percent acceptance rate that have uh, that have become abstracted from uh, like actual merit. You know, you get a lot of kids who. There's a great book called *Excellent Sheep: The Miseducation of uh, America's Youth* or something like that, um, uh, by William Dershowitz, and uh, there's another one called *The Happiness Advantage*. There's, like this is a story that's been told before, um, but it's something that uh, I only became aware of when I when I participated in it. Um, for one and two, I, I felt like uh, at a, at a, you know, with when I was at university, um, there was there was an unhealthy uh, like obsession almost with his um, goal oriented materialism, with prestige seeking, with um, you know trying to elevate yourself perhaps um, at the expense of the other. That I thought, um, while it certainly was existed. Um, in American culture and in, 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 in within the you know society we live in, I think that I thought that that might have been absent in the company of all these, uh, you know, like um, uh, smart, ambitious peers who were there to like uh, maybe collaborate a little bit more than uh, than I experienced uh, mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So one thing that you said that really kind of stood out to me was, you know, the, the college admissions process robs people of their youth. Um, and so to tell me more about that and then before I let you go with it, it's, so if, if you want to get into one of those Ivy league schools, well, then there's this kind of this finite track that you have to dedicate yourself to early on. Is that, is that what you meant by that? Sort of. Yeah. I think, you know, when you're accepting six out of a hundred kids or five out of a hundred kids, four five, six, I think the year I applied, uh, Princeton's admissions rate was six. Now, some of them have gotten down to, you know, uh, four or five, uh, I think Stanford's that you was 4.8%. Um, you know, th- that's not really an attainable goal. Um, and it, it's very much not um, based on broad test scores as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that maybe that poses its own problems. But, you know, having the grades and the test scores will get your foot through the door. I mean, that's just be, you know, being able to show up for the tryouts. That's the eligibility yeah. requirements mm-hmm. for for showing up to run your sprints, um, you know, on uh, – on audition day. Um, and then, uh, after that you have to, you know, basically do all kinds of crazy extracurriculars and, and really present the most, um, polished presentable version of yourself. Who's done all these, um, uh, crazy things like, or, or, or very hard to, uh, uh, 
achieve things. Um, and what, what I felt is that when you're putting that kind of pressure on a 14 year old, because that's typically when, when you enter college or when you enter your high school, um, you miss out on a lot of, uh, on a lot of the things that make growing up, growing up, like, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm not just talking about, um, you know, partying. I, it's more, uh, you know, hanging out with your friends, playing on sports teams, um, you know, really developing a lot of, a lot of the skills that, that, that teenagers develop in yeah. order to exist as productive members of, of, of society in the real world. And, um, I feel that because college admissions now are so difficult, um, uh, that a lot of kids prioritize, uh, and put em- or, or are forced essentially that they're, they're made to put emphasis, not on the things that constitute growing up, um, like playing on sports teams, like yeah. hanging out with your friends, like, um, developing, you know, um, basic, uh, like social skills and, and emotional intelligence on all of that. And they're all focused on this sort of one finite end, which is getting into college. And then the other part is that once you do that, once you win the game, or or once you achieve the goal you set out to achieve, a lot of kids are burnt out and then without a sense of purpose because you spend four years running so hard towards a goal that by the time you get there, it's it's like um, it's like a dog chasing its tail. When if he ever if the dog ever caught its tail, he wouldn't he wouldn't know what to do with it. Right. Um, so uh, that in some ways was was. Um, or is how I feel about um, academia, particularly within the United States, because I think it is it is different in other countries. Sure, absolutely. And you know, I've got two sons. Uh, one I'm going to turn 17 here in, in a couple months. The other one just turned 13. And you know, mom and dad, we've got tons of college degrees. We're 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 definitely educated and overeducated. I have a PhD, and my wife has a master's degree with a add-on admin endorsement and license and education but here's the thing there's a lot of letters after your last names yeah there are yeah there are a lot of alphabet soup for sure but my wife and i you know as we turned approaching 40 we both had and i had you know almost 20 years in my career and she was approaching the same but we had been around long enough to see people put in the next 20 years and they just weren't happy with their lives and they, you know, they kind of get to that crisis of what was it all for? And so we looked at each other and said, we're not going to do that. And so therefore we both kind of jumped. She, she left her career. Um, I gave my boss a, a four year um, <laughs> notice that in four years, I'm going to be done. That's coming up uh, here next year and started doing other things, started creating, you know, other ways, starting living life on our terms um, and so with our boys, we want, we've told them, like, if you want to go to college, cool, do it. But we're not expecting you to, to go to college. Um, mm. So we're setting them free in, term, in, in terms of that because um, it's, it, it, I found myself, you know, I finished my PhD in 2015. And um, what, just out of curiosity? In counseling. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I found myself, and I already had 10, 15 years experience in the field too, you know, prior to going into the doctorate experience. And this isn't a knock on anybody, but it's just just my personal experience. Um, I had more personal lived experience than some of my professors did, right? Mm. Because if they went, they basically lived in academia their whole life, um, people in my cohort. And there was times where I was just, I felt like I was just buying my degree, like literally, because 
I could have taught the class. In fact, I had talk, taught the class before at, at the master's <laughs> level. Um, and I literally just felt like I'm just paying money and, and buying my degree because I really didn't, like you said, you, you think you go into it with this, you're going to expand yourself and expand your mind and expand your awareness. And um, that isn't always the case in, anymore. So I don't know what your take is on that. What, you know, uh, what, what you would say to me in terms of what, you know, our approach to higher education with our sons, but that's kind of where, where, where we're at now. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I would say a few things. The first is that any discussion of, um, you know, the merits of a, of a college degree is, is a, you could write a whole book on that. Um, right. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult question to answer because it, it really, it comes down to the person. It depends what you want to do. Um, if you want to, you know, practice medicine, you, you can't do YouTube tutorials for that. Right. Um, on the other hand, if, you know, if you want to learn how to code and you want to go work at a coding company, I look at a lot of my friends who, yep have computer science degrees from some of these universities and while certainly they they, they learn some things in their classes um uh a lot of it is is self-taught like it, 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 if you if you want to be a welder for example you know like you can't you can't go to youtube and figure out how to you know melt metal together you're gonna probably you should go to trade school for a year right. or two it, it, it depends it depends what you want to do and i think what what it what it comes down to is that you should check in really with yourself um, throughout your degree, after your degree, um, and, and say, hmm, are all these, you know, is this worth it? Am I working towards something? Am I getting, you know, like a good return on investment? And if the answer is yes, I need a degree in order to work in the field that I want to work in, whether your degree is related to that field or not, because there are some fields like, um, there are countless fields where you need a degree in something in order to work in that just because of how hiring works um and you can start something unrelated to to what you're doing if you're not going to be a you know an english professor um and, and and you need to do that uh for for uh for anybody i guess i would say within academia um but also more broadly like check in with yourself and ask you know is this worth it a lot of people come out with these crippling student loans um and uh, the question is, uh, for what, what, what did, uh, what did this get me? I mean, you, you alluded to, to purchasing a degree. And I think in some ways, um, it just goes back to the point of asking yourself, um, I'm going to spend four years doing this. I could spend four years getting, you know, uh, training, doing something else or teaching myself something else or, uh, you know, working a variety of jobs until I figure out, um, what's best for me. Uh, and, you know, I think within America, it's also difficult because for a lot of um, like non blue collar jobs, or there's this belief anyway, that for if, if you don't want to work with your hands, you need a degree in something. Yeah. Um, I think maybe not accepting something as broad brush and thinking more specifically, okay, here, here are four or five, here's what I'm good at. Um, here's what I like doing. Um, here's what what might, you know, be, be good for the world a little bit, if that's if that's something that's important to you. Um, and finding something that you're good at that, you know, contributes to, um, to making the world a better place just a little bit and um, something that, you know, that, that, that like you can do and ask yourself, uh, you know, is this is this what I need to be doing? And certainly for you, you know, you want to be you were counseling, you, you needed a Ph.D., I guess, in order to do that. So um, 
like whatever, whatever you're doing, I think you just check in with yourself and say, um, and this, this is with anything. It's like waiting, you know, uh, waiting in line and for then at the Apple store, the day the iPhone comes out, you're waiting in line and you're waiting in line and you think, oh, well, I've waited in line long enough that I, I might as well just keep waiting. Right. Uh, but life isn't a waiting game. You know, it's just like you're spending your, all of your freshman year in high school waiting to be a sophomore. So you're not the fresher anymore. And then all of sophomore, you're waiting to be an upperclassman. And so that, you know, you're not in the middle anymore. And then all of junior year, you're waiting to be a senior. So you're the big man on campus. And then all of senior year, you're, you're waiting to go out and graduate in, in the real world. Um, and, you know, life, life shouldn't be a waiting game. You should constantly be checking in with yourself and saying, hmm, like, let me enjoy what I'm doing now. And if I want to work towards a goal, I just make sure if I'm going to fight for something, I should, you know, fight like hell for it. Just make sure I know what I'm fighting for. Does that, does that sort of make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Just speaking my language for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I like, um, you know, what you kind of, and I don't know if you've run across him before, but there's, there's a gentleman out there named Ken Coleman. He's got lots of content, but you described his formula for helping people find their thing, right? There's, there's what you're good at and there's what you like to do. And those aren't always the same thing, right? But if you find something that you're good at and you actually like to do it, it's like, the, you know, it's a Venn diagram with the overlapping circles. The third circle is what the market will pay for. Right. And so if you've right. got good overlap of all those three things, then uh, you're probably pretty golden. Um, and that may or may not include a college degree. And, you know, when you were talking about your friends that can code, you know, I'm I'm 43. Right. And so uh, I graduated high school in 95. I, I have a friend from high school that never got a computer computer science degree, but has been highly and gainfully employed in the field um, ever since we graduated. So. He worked for a little company named Enron and was doing mm. computer science. Yeah. <laughs> they ran into some problems later. They ran into but... some problems. And then he jumped to this <laughs> bank called um, the Royal Bank of Scotland. And he was, I don't I've know if you heard of that one as well. RBS. Yeah. <laughs> and what he was doing for them was he was developing um, pit trader apps uh, over smartphones because the smartphone became the new thing and they needed to have their own interface that could go right to their people in, you know, in the, in the trading pits. So that, he didn't have a college degree. He never studied computer science anywhere. He learned it all on his own. He's never, it's never been an obstacle for him. So. Yeah. It's funny that you should mention, you know, like his smartphones, this new thing called the smartphone is it's crazy to think, especially for, for people my age and the iPhone generation who, um, you know, grew up with these things that um, it didn't always used to be this way. And, 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 you know, and a lot, there's a lot of problems with it. Um, certainly people getting addicted to screens and all of that. Um, but I, I think it is a beautiful thing in some ways too. I've, you know, I've, I've traveled a lot when I travel, you know, you add someone on Instagram or Facebook, you get their WhatsApp or whatever, and uh, you're able to keep in touch with this enormous network of people all over the world you can be i'm talking to you from ten thousand miles away um right. you know i called uh, i called a, a a dutch girl this morning and i called another friend um an english friend yesterday and i, I spoke to someone in america also yesterday it's 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 a great blessing to be able to to sort of maintain communication with people in different countries and different towns and uh, all over the United States. And, you know, a lot of that um, isn't even as you don't even need to call people anymore. You just see what they're posting. You look at their Instagram stories or the Snapchat story or whatever, um, and you can stay connected with a lot of people. So I think for all the, the perils of, um, you know, getting addicted to your screen and all of that, if, if you use it responsibly and, um, uh, 
it can be a really amazing thing. And it's allowed me to, to maintain close personal friendships with, you know, something, I don't know, like 3,600 Facebook friends, something like that. Right. Um, you know, I don't talk to every single one every single day and have an in-depth conversation. Um, but I, you know, not all of them, but the vast majority of, you know, some people are just adding in middle school, but, um, the vast majority of them, um, uh, you're, you are connected, uh, in a way that, uh, you weren't able to be, you know, let's say 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remind people that the iPhone came out in 2008. So that's 12 years ago. Um, I had the realization that that was the year that my youngest son, um, well, 2007, he was born. So he's never, he's never known life without a, a touchscreen. And that was kind of this, you know, crazy for me to, because I obviously was on the other end of it, you know, um, in terms of, uh, I was middle school when the personal computer was was a reality for you know for the for the mm. average you know um, home mm. income and so I remember having my uh, Commodore sixty four and I'm going to date myself when I say these things and whatnot but uh, uh, my kids you know definitely have not loaned life without without a, a touchscreen that's kind of that's just it is what it is it's a sign of the age there so uh, switching topics I liked what you said that. You, you've you in your life either you said that you you you've attracted chaos and then you <laughs> talked about Bedouins trying to kidnap you so I, I'm I, I gotta know tell me about that uh the chaos or the Bedouins or, oh, I, mean, well, I want to see Bedouins being an example of the, of the chaos that you attracted yeah um my junior year of high school or the summer after my junior year I had this scholarship with the State Department um, to go and learn Arabic in Jordan. Wow. Um, and they paid for me basically in a, in a cohort of other kids. They, they sent kids off to like uh, areas of strategic interest. So they had kids going to Turkey or actually that was the year that there was a coup, I think. So they didn't send them to Turkey, but they had kids going to Morocco and China and, and India and Russia and uh, Jordan and a variety of other countries. And I, you know, uh, got accepted to this program all expenses paid. Uh, they, I was like, yeah, this is great. Why not? Um, and so, uh, they shipped me off, uh, to Jordan. Um, you know, where's learning Arabic one weekend, we go out to Petra and Wadi Rum, which are like, um, uh, it's part of the great Wadi Rum is part of the great Rift Valley. So which is miles and miles of Jordanian desert. Think like Arizona arid, like it's desert. All right. There's nothing there, <laughs> nothing. Um, and so, driving out on the highway i see these like four or five uh toyota pickup trucks like charging towards us what's going on um they are like bus it's like a coach bus stops um and you know they're like getting the trunks we, we you know we get but this is all like fun so they're like we get in the trunks and we went out to it, it, it was hardly a hotel it was more like glamping tents you know like the tents with like the metal poles and stuff in them like fancy tents uh, and so we drive us out for an hour into the desert and then we're staying in these like uh, glamping tents basically. And everyone wants to go watch this uh, gorgeous sunset. Cause there's these like mountains in the desert. Um, they're like, they're like mini mountains. I mean, they're not like kilometers high, but they're, they're pretty high. Right. Mm-hmm. So everyone goes off and climbs one mountain and this other girl and I go off and we, we decided we want to go to a further one that's a little bit higher up. So we run out there, we climb the mountain, we watch this absolutely gorgeous blood orange sunset um, and we came down the mountain um, inadvertently. Uh, we like descended a different face of the mountain than we ascended. And so 
we walked towards the only lights we could see. We get to this like encampment and this guy Ahmed is there. Um, and he's like, you guys must be the Americans. And we're like, what do you, what do you, and yeah, like we are American. I don't know if we're the Americans. Right. And he's like, fuck you guys. I'm not helping you guys. I hate you guys. I know what you did. I know who you are. Like, fuck you. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is happening right now? We're literally lost in the Jordanian desert. We run into the only help for miles. I mean, we're looking out in the desert. There's, there's no lights anywhere. And just to be clear, the Jordanian desert or any desert for that matter is not a place you want to be alone at night. There's all kinds of unwanted things in there, the things that you don't want to encounter out there. Um, and so we start talking to him eventually uh the girl i was with is telling him like god brought us together to resolve our differences like we you know can you help us and eventually he's like okay like you know i i you know i i give up like yalla like come on come on um and so we get in the trunk of this dude's pickup truck it's a, it's another they all have these like four by four toyota pickup trucks that are not built for sand i don't know why that's what all the bedouins were driving but it's what they work we got in the trunk, he starts driving us around, but like sitting there bopping around in the trunk. Like, I have no idea what's going on. The window to the car is actually open. Not the window, the window between the like front of the truck and the in the in the trunk is open. So the girl I was with starts explaining to me in, in French, because the window was open and the Bedouin spoke English, what happened. Um and uh because we both spoke French, um, even though we're not native French speakers. So she starts explaining to me what happened. Basically, every year the State Department would book these like clamping tents with this one Bedouin family. Um, and this year, a few days before we were due to book it out to Wadi Rum, uh, we got a call from the family that we usually booked with. And they were like, yo, what the fuck? Why didn't you book with us this year? And we were like, um, actually, we did. We booked with this guy named Ahmed. Um, and they're like, he's from a totally different part of the family. We're having a big family dispute. If you want to stay at the same safe, like secure location that you always stay every year that the state department has used for the past 10 or 15 years or however long you got to book with us. So we call Ahmed back. We're like, yo, you lied to us. You said you were part of the family, um, that you're not. Uh, so we pulled 30 reservations from under his ass, like three days, uh, before, um, three days or so before we were due to get there. And this did not make him happy. This created a rather unhappy Bedouin. And so he starts calling like the, the program director, like 50 times, like his uncles are calling, like everyone out, like we were just being inundated by phone calls. And so of all the people we, and, and so we went and stayed with the family that we usually stay with who runs this like encampment. And so of all the people in the entire Jordanian desert, we could have run into, we run into the one guy who has it out for us and <laughs> wow. he's pissed at us. Um, so we're driving around, sitting around, bouncing up and down in, in, in the back of this pickup truck. And uh, then another car pulls up and we're like, ah, oh, this is the end. Like this, this is where, you know, something bad's about to happen. And we had these shitty little Nokia phones. There's no service at all. Um, and, you know, the little like indestructible, tiny little circular yep. Nokia phones. So we're bouncing around in the truck. Another car pulls up. They're like, get in this car. Like, what are we going to do, run away? I don't know. So we, we get in the other car. I think we had to change cars two or three times by 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 the end of the whole ordeal. Um, and eventually, we got back to our camp uh, alive and in one piece. And, it was, you know, it's a great story to tell. I think in the end, like, human decency pulled through. 
Um, I don't know why it took so long. I don't know why it took like 45 minutes or an hour or however long to get us back there. Frankly, I think he's probably just trying to screw with us or scare us or mess with our heads because what are we going to call the police? We're in the right. desert. There's no right. there's no law enforcement. Right. Um, there is no law in the desert. Um, and so uh, in the end, I think decency pulled through and he got us back to where we were trying to go. But that, you know, I, I was that was the summer after my junior year of high school and all these sort of uh, wild, chaotic experiences I've, I've brought to myself just because, um, you know, I don't go out looking for trouble, so to speak. But when, when an opportunity presents itself, I'm, I'm sort of a yes man. I'm not the guy to say no. It's very much like a carpe diem sort of sort of mentality. And so when the girl I was with said, do you want to go climb this this other mountain? It's uh, like an extra kilometer away or whatever, but that's, you know, twice as high and it's going to make for a much better sunset. Was I going to say no? Because I was like, fuck yeah, we're going to do this. And so we did it. And, uh, you know, I'm here to tell the story. So uh, right. I guess it wasn't for nothing. Right. And so you you were 16, 17. And was this, what, 2015 or 16? Orient myself there. It was 2016. So I was 18. 18, yeah. I was 18. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> then you got deported from England. Is that what you said? Yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of others. I get to, yeah, I got deported from England. Um, the following year, before that, when I was 16, I was uh, I basically moved to Paris by myself with no adult supervision, and I was, and I like again inadvertently ended up uh, the place I was staying um, was in the red light district, um, and so I was a 16 year old with like proficient but not that fantastic French um, living by myself in the red light district. Mm -hmm uh in paris um and so but but yeah, yeah the story of getting deported from england the, the the crazy story um i uh well, i don't want to give too much away from the book but this you know anyway uh, you know reading the story is, is uh, Scott, let, let me pause you one thing i've got a i've got a paris red light district story myself um from my team oh, please, <laughs> please uh, so do, i had opportunity do, to go over to we went to uh uh, Paris, London, and Edinburgh with a 10-day kind of, you know, rapid pace type of a deal. Anyway, where, where we uh, initially went to Paris and where we were staying, and I think we were going to the Louvre. I can't remember, a long time ago, but the the walk path walked us through the red light district. And the kicker on this is, is uh, this was a, a private Christian school that we were, we, I was going to with. And so we're going yeah. through this, we're going through this red light district in our, in our, um, our teachers are like, now don't look over there. I'm like, over where? Oh, my. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, in the getting exposed to the TV over there was way different than the TV is over uh, here in the states in terms of what's allowed yeah. to be shown and whatnot. And, oh yeah, and, yeah. But you couldn't have find a different route for us. You had to walk us. I mean, I think that was on purpose. But anyway, so <laughs> maybe they were they were testing your purity. They were right, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I had to. That sparked my memory of, of being over there as well. And uh, we, we also ditched out on the final tour, um, going to see Versailles. And we went to go find um, where Jim Morrison was buried. So that was that was more important. <laughs> that, that was more exciting to you guys to, yeah. to see uh, good old Jimmy yep, than, uh, um, than, than, uh, than Versailles. Yeah. Um, both, uh, I'm sure, I haven't actually been to Jim Morrison's grave, but uh, I'm sure they were both uh, beautiful sights. Yeah. Uh, 
And yeah, I mean, I, I guess it goes back to, to what I was saying, like, you know, things are totally different. TV is totally different. You know, the importance of, of travel, whether the next, um, the, the, the other half of town or the next city over, the next state over, or, you know, um, in, in my case, the next country over, in this case, 10,000 miles away. Um, uh, you know, you, you learn from, from everything you do. Uh, I guess um, to, to get back to your question about uh, getting deported from England, yeah. um, I what so I graduated from high school. Um, I was waitlisted at Princeton at the time. I, uh, I was working at the time for, I started doing this internship for a congressman, um, uh, Steve Scalise, who um, in 2017, it was a tragic uh, congressional baseball game shooting where some guy came out and he opened fire on a bunch of congressmen. Yep. Um, so uh, yeah, I was I was there for that, um, which was a, a definitely a, a harrowing experience. So uh, processing today. And on the day, it was June 14th, 2017, the day he was shot, um, you know, I sent one final um, letter to Princeton um, uh, saying, you know, uh, uh, advocating for my candidacy. Uh, I never thought I would hear from them again. Um, when that internship wrapped up, I went to do another internship in, in the UK. And uh, that was... Uh, put on hold when we got to the border. Um, I got off a red eye, I was tired. The guy, you know, the customs guy says, why are you here? And I'm kind of like, well, I'm here to eat crumpets, seduce the queen and to do this internship. Um, uh -oh. And minus the, the uh, regal seduction part. Um, and he's like, internship. And the guy like immediately freaks out because um, he's been sitting at his desk all day with nothing to do, just rubber stamping all these passports. Right. Like, oh, wow, I get to do something now. Um, so we get caught in this whole bureaucratic spider web. The, the guys I was with were, were fingerprinted, photographed, um, were detained for nine hours. They, they count all of our um, all of our underwear, all of you know, all of all of the like toiletries we had. I had Advil, and one guy's like, "What's this?" I'm like, "It's, Advil, it's ibuprofen," and he's like, "What's that?" And I'm like, "It's headache medicine. You know what it is. Like, I'm not bringing drugs into your country. Calm down." Um, and, you know, we're put in this locked room with Iraqi and Syrian asylum seekers, some of whom are very nice people. Um, and uh, with Iraqi and Syrian asylum seekers for nine hours. Um, I, you know, one thing I remember from this, too, I always share this detail because it's so absurd. Um, the, the movie that we're playing in this locked room where they confiscated our phones and had to sign away our rights, by the way, was Dunstan Checks In, which is a movie about a kid and his pet orangutan who stayed at a hotel one weekend and like terrorized the hotel. And I was just thinking these poor, you know, refugees right. are being made to watch like, I don't know if it was Disney, but some child's movie about a kid and his pet orangutan. Like what is going on here? Um, nine hours later, um, there's, you know, they marches out into the tarmac. There's a plane taxiing. Um, the reason for the deportation, by the way, or the removal from the country or whatever you want to call it was because uh, the UK at the time was the only country in all of the EU where you needed a visa for an unpaid internship, hmm. um, which I, I thought was, I had no idea. I asked the company ahead of time, do I need a visa? And they said, no, no, you're fine. Like, don't worry about it. And I was worried at the time because this is, this is the whole like Brexit era. And I was thinking, okay, maybe there'd be like extra tough on the borders or something. Um, and so I was aware, I was, this was in the back of my mind, but it wasn't a scenario that anyone actually thinks is going to happen to them. Um, so the plane's taxiing, they march us out onto the tarmac. 
we get onto the tarmac and uh, the, the, the plane lowers the stairs. We get onto the plane. The customs guy gives gives our passports to the stewardess and they said, don't, he's like, don't give them their passports until they land on U.S. soil. Like, and that's the legal order. And we're like, okay, what? Um, so I ended up watching, I think, like three movies on the way back. But uh, And the U.K. did pay for our flight back. But um, they, we really posed a threat, please. Um, but we got caught in this whole bureaucratic spider web, clearly not designed for us. Um, and in 24 hours, I, I, I crossed the Atlantic twice. Um, so that's another, that's another crazy story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, like you said on the front end of this, you know, um, people of your age usually don't write memoirs, but uh, uh, I think uh, your stories definitely <laughs> are worthy of, of doing such. So. Um, Thanks for sharing a couple of those. I don't want to say we don't want to dive you know, completely into the book because we want people to get the book, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey, Nick, um, just a quick question. You're a bit uh, pixelated, but it doesn't matter. But you can hear me and everything, right? Yeah, my sound is is going good. So, okay, great. So yep. that's what. Now you're not anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. Um. So, something else that you said you know, early on in our, in our conversation here was, you know, you became disillusioned while you were, you were in, um, in, you know, at Princeton and you made, you know, the, these descriptors about, you know, uh, hyper competitiveness, you know, always striving for more, this, this drive for, uh, you know, uh, elitism, I think were some of the words that I heard you say. Um, so, you know, my podcast is is the upgraded life, and um, so I'm I'm, a, I'm asking for a contrast of ideas, or maybe filtering it through you know a different generation. Where in my life, in my experience, um, my daytime job is youth corrections, so I, in in the state of Oregon, and what I saw so many times over and over and over again was um, unrealized and unreached potential. Meaning these kids were, were locked up, and they're they're with me now your age literally i started you know at your age and you would see kids that had incredible um talent as uh, in the arts whether it was writing or or uh, music or um, drawing or you see uh talented athletes or just raw raw athletes and just kind of you know i just uh, intelligence too you know people that were were actually really good academically um, but why why do they get on this track and they they find their way to to me and just kind of having a lot of those experiences and then in my own personal life and whatnot, where kind of my drive is for people to realize and reach their potential versus kind of just drifting through life and, and not knowing what it was all about or what it's for and, and then just kind of living by default. And so those are kind of the themes that drive what I do, what I do as a coach and behind this, this podcast. Um, how, how does that contrast with kind of your, so I mean, I'm, I'm encouraging people to be 1% better every day, right? That's, that's one of my mantras that, that I borrowed from somebody else. But, uh, you know, how does that contrast kind of with what your thoughts are about um, academia, you know, college admissions, what's the point of it all, and just your outlook on life in, in general? Are we compatible or not? Or are we on different planets? No, I think we're totally compatible. I, you know, I think the first thing I would say, and I say this in the book, and and, and always is like I'm, 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 I am humbly grateful for for the opportunity to have had the the education that I had and the, the opportunities that I've had, just because, you know, there's a, a large portion um, 
or there, there's a lot of people in this world who don't have access to any kind of education, no less the top of the line education that I had. Um, I think um, where, so that's just like uh, something I would say up front. Um, mm -hmm. I think certainly we're still compatible uh, in, in so far as that you should be, you know, constantly striving to improve yourself and working towards a goal. And what I'm advocating is, is very much not um, uh, giving up on ambition. Um, rather it's, it's, um, question, you know, I always, uh, I say this in the book, I think, um, at least once, maybe twice, if you're going to fight for something, fight like hell, just make damn sure, you know, what, whatever it is that you're mm -hmm. fighting for. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that has to do with like reflection and, and checking in with yourself. Like it, you're the only one who, who walks the path that, uh, that, that you're going down. And so, um, if you don't like where you, you know, you should constantly be striving to better yourself, whether it's, it's a good path or, or a bad path or, or, um, whatever, um, you're, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, if, if, if you want to, um, change something, you certainly can. And I think, um, for me with, uh, when I was talking about, um, uh, you know, working towards this, what I called like an, ar an somewhat arbitrary goal of, of wanting to get into like a top school. Um, I think that that certainly is, is, is a question. It, like it, it extends more broadly to questions about um, American culture. Whereas um, a lot of people, rather than figuring out what they're passionate about and really, you know, flourishing, um, they look at a standard um, uh, that, uh, that is widely accepted, like the well-trod path, you know, the, the white picket fence, all of that, and either mm -hmm. run as hard as they can towards that, or they totally reject it and like rebel in an opposite direction. And, I, you know, I wouldn't say that either one is healthy. I think um, you should set your own goals, not necessarily looking at, you know, um, the the people you're you're close to, your friends, the people in your hometown or wherever, and, and look at like what's typically done or what's cool to do. Um, and, you should, uh, or what's worked for me anyway, is to to sort of decide what you want for you, um, and 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 then run as one as hard as you can towards that. And to be checking in with yourself, like a lot of times, at least within the college admissions process, I made this decision my freshman year of high school. I had four years to to question that. I, I never really um, questioned why I was going. Was there a specific program that I wanted, or was there a specific professor I wanted to work with, or something like that? For me, it was more just. Uh, running towards somewhat of an arbitrary goal. And I, I think I, I certainly benefit from having made that mistake of running as hard as I can without ever questioning why I was running, because now, you know, whenever I do something, I go all in and I put my mind to it fully. Um, I just check in with myself every now and then, not once every five years, like I did before. Um, it was very much just me keeping my foot on the gas pedal on the highway. And anytime I thought about taking an exit, I would just swerve the car back in, in into the freeway. Um, so for anybody, I guess I would say like, you know, uh, fight like hell for, for whatever you want to fight for. Just first of all, make sure you know what that is. And second of all, check in with yourself every now and then. And if you ever want to um, pivot, it doesn't mean that all the work you've done is for not. If yeah. you, it, like you learned that uh, you learned that maybe that thing wasn't for you, or maybe once you get further and further and further into something, if it's not for you at level, you know, six it's definitely not going to be for you at level 12 right. you know mm -hmm. so um i mean maybe if you know if you're an athlete or something and you're like working towards it and you become better every day that's different but if you're not fundamentally enjoying something um or you find that something isn't uh 
you know, I, I wouldn't even say if you find that something isn't suited to your um, aptitude, because you can always learn, you can always become better. If you yeah. love something, you can you figure out a way to do it. But uh, just checking in with, finding like Helen and checking in um, with yourself is, yeah. is uh, you know, often is what I would say. Love it. So I love think it. we are. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm part of a, of a, of a mastermind and we were going through some um, tutorials. Sorry, what's, a what's a mastermind? Uh, so yeah, a mastermind yeah. is when you meet with other people for the purpose of um, generating ideas from one another and, okay. you, you know, put, putting forth your concepts or ideas, philosophies, and then being open to challenge or different perspectives. Uh, that, that's what a mastermind is. Cool. Okay. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Sorry, no, perfect. So I was uh, uh, part of a mastermind and we were learning from, from a gentleman um, and he was talking about function over form. And that's, I heard a lot of that in what, what you were just talking about. Um, meaning form is, okay, here's the path to success because my parents told me so, or because my friends are doing it, or, you know, somebody sold me something on late night TV. That isn't a thing anymore, but it used to be right. Uh, so here's the form, right. But does it fit your function? Which is the, which is the more important um, question, and the function is about um, where you're at and where you want to be, and making sure that everything you do helps you close that gap. And sometimes following form, you know, it doesn't. It, it it's actually building a bridge going the opposite direction. But it's what we were told to do. It's the path that was laid out for us, or it's it's the thing that uh, we were expected to do. So function over form was. Um, uh, the concepts that I was hearing you talk about in, in, in your own way. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm familiar with that uh, terminology, but um, I think uh, certainly uh, there's some, some overlap there. Yeah. It's like you say, it, you have to ask yourself, you know, what is the function of this action that I'm going to take? And if it isn't, if it isn't pushing me to where, you know, I say I want to be, then I got to stop doing it. Right. Or I have to accept the fact that, Hey, when I do these things, it's not actually getting me to where I want to be. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to accept that for now or whatever it is. Just be cognizant of it as opposed to, oh, my gosh, 10 years went by. And how come I didn't do this? Well, because, dummy, you didn't check in with yourself, you know, <laughs> every week, every day, like you were saying. You know, you can't you can't wait a year or four years to have your check in. I think that the check in, it goes two ways. It's 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 first of all, it's checking in to make sure that the actions and the things that you're doing um, are working towards your ultimate goal, but it's also checking in and asking yourself if that ultimate goal is something mm -hmm. that you want yep. um, and something that is going to, to bring uh, meaning um, to you. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's not about being happy on a day-to-day -day basis, like this this idea of, of flourishing and then getting to like um, a really uh, content state, like the, the Greek idea of like eudaimonia and like flourishing mm -hmm. um, is it, it, it's not being thrilled on a day-to-day -day basis when you're in the gym, like pumping iron, um, that that's going to hurt a little bit, but, um, it's, uh, it's asking yourself, uh, not just are these actions that I'm doing, yeah, pushing me towards whatever goal I want to get towards. Um, because I think that's a little bit easier to know, um, you know, this, this is going to be helpful if you want to get huge, right. You want to get like, uh, yoked, muscled up, right. Like, and, and then you're going and you're eating uh, McDonald's every day. You're not eating, like eating enough protein. You, you know, it's not that hard to figure out that that, um, 
that's not working towards your ultimate goal. Uh, on the other hand, I think you should be asking yourself, well, do I want to get huge in the first place? Um, would it be okay if I was just uh, yep. pretty big, but not like ridiculous? You know, whatever. I mean, that's just an example. Um, and I think certainly along the way, um, yeah, you can ask yourself, but like, I, I don't think you should be overly questioning, is, is this is this working towards the end goal? Is this working towards the end goal? Because when a new opportunity presents itself that perhaps isn't on like a linear path that you set out for yourself, I think you certainly you certainly should explore. You should say hi to that stranger. You should take an opportunity to to go to Jordan um, or, or whatever, if someone else is, if the State Department is going to pay for it or whatever it is. Um, when, when a new opportunity presents itself that isn't necessarily in line with your like linear path, I think you still should pursue it because you know, you never know. You might, uh, you just might discover some new passion that you could then make your, you know, then you realize actually this is what I want to do with my life. Or actually, um, uh, well, I'm interested in this other thing. Um, maybe, maybe that can just be a hobby, and and I want to start running in a new direction. Um, but if you if you don't like, you know, take take, um, you're not even taking an exit. But if you don't take like the the detour through through every now and then um, just to explore something new. Uh, you you miss out on a lot. Yeah. If you don't say yes to going the extra kilometer to climb a better mountain, you won't see the same sunset, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Now, I think I think we are uh, uh, saying a, a lot of similar things there. As well, you know, it's um, when you set that target, you know, definitely isn't going to be a linear path, and you also have to be open to that target or something better. And I think it's that piece of, or something better that, um, you know, creates tunnel vision. You know, you don't see that yeah. these, these things came at you all the time, but you were so, you know, locked down this one thing and you missed the something better thing that just kept coming at you. Yep. Awesome. Um, who or what inspires you? I mean, you, you, you've got a lot of passion. Uh, so, you know, who or what inspires you, Scott? Um, I think that's a, it's a good question. Um, I think the people who, who follow their dreams and are willing to, to lay it out, out all on the line to get there and who sort of live these vibrant, interesting lives. I think James Hunt, um, is certainly one, I talk about athletes, James Hunt's certainly one person who inspired me. He, he was this, what do you call it, rush about, and that's how most people in my generation might know him, um, he won the 1976 Formula One World Championship, and he was just this crazy guy with all these bizarre methods, and he never sort of uh, listened to, to anyone else or did, did race Formula One, which is the, the highest class of single-seat auto racing, um, uh, in the way that uh, that was traditionally done, and he couldn't have been more different from his fellow drivers. Uh, he would... Um, would stay up all night before his races. He would you know, show up hungover and throb. And you know, certainly I'm not saying I want to emulate his life. It sounds painful actually in a lot of ways, but um, physically um, to, to do what he did to his body. But um, uh, I think he's certainly one person just because he, um, through his own methods, like forged his own destiny. Um, I think another person would be Shane McConkey, who was a, a skier who recently passed away. I used to race competitively, um, and I, I love skiing. And uh, Shane McConkey was just just amazing uh, skier who would do all these wild, crazy things. He would be he ended up dying actually in a squirrel suit diving accident, I think. Um, and he uh, there's a great uh, documentary on him called McConkey, hence you know the 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 namesake. Um, but, uh, 
though I mean those people just because they, they sort of um, invented themselves and it became who who they they wanted to be I think that the people who inspire me most are self self inventors you know mm -hmm. um, people who uh, figure out like they 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 create themselves from scratch and they build the, their personalities and their lives and all of that um, in a unique way that uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, you know anti-establishment it can it can be whatever it's just you're you're fundamentally inventing yourself it's like this this uh, the old Gatsby narrative of like the the, the self-invented man um, mm. the people who aren't afraid to just um, be authentically themselves are where I draw uh, most of my inspiration. And I, you know, I can talk about like my literary influences and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, that certainly would be something I would say about uh, th those two characters. Anyway, those two um, sure, no, professional I, actors, yeah. Uh, yeah. would be people who I would say inspire me. Perfect. No, I think thanks for uh, uh, answering the question for me. Um, you're 22, right? I am 22, 22, 23 later here, um, 23 years young. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a, a question to, to consider, and maybe you've done it already, but, you know, um, when you approach, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old, what, what's the legacy you hope to have left behind? You know, I, that's an interesting question. Not when, if, if I approach 50 or 60 or 70 years old. Um, uh, no, nah, I'm joking. I'm only half joking actually, but um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good question. I think certainly I want to look back on my life and, and not regret uh, uh, the things I didn't do. I would much rather regret that, you know, there's that old quote, better to regret. Um, I put, think I put this in the book. It's better to regret uh, what you've done than what you haven't. Um, I'm fine um, making a decision and, and and then regretting it afterwards and, and learning from it. Um, what I'm not fine with and what I wrote about in the book is is regretting things that I didn't do rather than things that I did, like foregoing opportunities, um, missing out on things. Having you know, kids my age call it like FOMO. But I mean, it's very real. Like of all, the, I think Kurt Vonnegut, who was bastardizing uh, Maud Muller's poem, said, "Of all the words of mice and men, the saddest are it might have been." And to sit there kicking yourself, wondering about what might have been, is a horrible, horrible feeling. Um, and so, you know, whatever decision, whatever decision you make, there's always going to be another path you could have taken. But I think, um, for me anyway, what what I've tried to do is. Uh, and what I always try to do going forward is if an opportunity presents itself, even if it's uh, a little bit deviant from whatever path I think I might be on. I mean, my path now is basically just taking advantage of these opportunities wherever they present themselves. Um, just capitalize on it and, you know, um, throw yourself into that relationship rather than, you know, cutting it off before it has a chance to begin or, uh, you know, uh, take the road less traveled because uh, at the end of the day, you're the only one who has to live with the choices um, you've made and the choices you haven't made. And I think the saddest thing ever is listening to... Um, to uh, old people, if you ever talk to, to elderly people and they talk about... Um, you know, wishing they had more time or wishing they'd done something differently or they're wondering about what what, what could have been if they'd done things differently. It's it's so tragic because the, the only thing you can't get back in this world is is your time. Um, you can, uh, 
the it's just a finite commodity that no one can control it's not about money it's not about where you live or 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 any or anything it's just the unstoppable march of time is in the background of us all like hunter s thompson at the end of uh, the rum diary wrote um you know uh the what was in line he said um and behind them all uh, the quiet deadly ticking of a thousand hungry clocks uh, the the lonely sound of time passing in a long Caribbean night. Like the, the the thousand hungry cocks are behind us all. And so I guess what I would say is, um, don't don't you don't want to be. I don't want to be regretting the things that I didn't do. Right. So um, that that's how I would answer that question. Yeah. Love it. Love that perspective. And uh, kudos to you for having thought about it as much as you've had, because lots of people can't answer that question or not answer it well. I don't know if I gave a good answer, but. I, I loved it. Well, it's a, you've thought about it. That, that's what I'm after. You know, I, I'm, I'm most interested in, you know, I really don't care um, what people think and, and, and why they think it. I just want to know that they thought about it, right? You know, it's, it's gone beyond this, the surface, you know, 140 character tweet, right? <laughs> and uh, um, people that have actually thought about, you know, who they are and why they are the way they are and the direction they're headed. That's what's interesting to me. Yep. I, you know, I think we'd, we're in agreement in agreement on that yeah so so to your book we're about ready to wrap this up scott so to your book why should people read it um i think people should read it because it's uh um, you know it's, it's a really sort of uh interesting exciting uh story i think and, and you know apparently just based off of the sales numbers and, and everything other people um seem to like it too uh it's just sort of this wild crazy story about a young person finding themselves in the world and i think because there's 22 chapters and they're all sort of selected moments from my life um there's something uh there's something to learn uh from each chapter about the things i've done correctly the things i haven't done correctly um and you know the story whips readers around the world from from uh france to chile to, to different parts of france to new york to new jersey to washington dc all over the place um, and, uh, it does so in, 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 in a, in a somewhat, uh, relatable way. Like a lot of people, um, might say, oh, well, I've never been to these places. So how could I relate? Um, the answer is, is it's, it's very much a coming of age story about, uh, like a young person finding themselves in the world. Uh, and I, while I have led this sort of, uh, wild, uh, bizarre life, um, I didn't even really set out to lead it. It just happened. Um, I think that uh, the story, uh, first of all, it's, it's not just the writing, it's, it, it's not just the stories, it's, it's the way that they're written, it's, it's short, it's, um, it's very fast paced, um, aggressive, uh, witty, funny, um, and um, you, know, you, could, you could read this book in, in probably like three, four hours, uh, and I think certainly uh, um, there's, it, it's, it's entertaining and uh, there's something, something to learn from it. There's, you know, something in each chapter to, to learn from it. Um, and uh, people, people have seemed to, to enjoy it so far. So uh, I hope you're one of those people. Um, it's, it's called the night before the morning after it's available on Amazon. Read a review. Let me know what you think. Um, DM me on Instagram, snewman477 or chuck me an email at snewman477 at gmail.com. The, the email and Instagram are the same. Um, and uh reach out to me i'm not one of those authors who like has a page up and then never responds to their messages or or uh, you know um like just leaves them unread or leaves them read and doesn't respond i uh 
I, well, I mean, I have hundreds of messages in my inbox now just because the book came out last week and it's just exploded all over the internet. Um, nice. But, uh, well, I mean, that's good for me. It's just like, it, it might take me, um, I might not respond in 10 minutes. It might, it might take me a little bit of time. I'm, I'm still cleaning out my inbox um, from last week. Um, so uh, it'll take me a few days to respond to, but feel free to reach out to me, leave, you know, leave a review on Amazon, I would say is, is uh, something I would, I would love to hear from you. Um, and, uh, grab a copy of the book It's available as a Kindle. I think it's like 10 bucks. I, I don't, first of all, I don't keep nearly all of that. And, uh, I didn't set the pricing, but I, I think it's at like 10 bucks for the Kindle and maybe like 25 for the hardcover. Um, and if you ever see me happy to sign it, come say hi to me. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you see me in a bar or see me walking down the street, um, I'm an approachable guy. So, yeah, you're, you're that Scott guy. How's it going? And I'll, I'll stop my day to, to chat with you. Perfect. So one of the things I do, Scott, is, uh, you know, people who tune into this podcast, they're basically investing an hour of their lives to listening to us, listening to you and me. And what I like to do is to have the people that I have on the show help them in some way. And so and this is a mindset, you know, podcast. It's the way it's kind of branded. But one of the things that I heard you say, I'm going to kind of rephrase it and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, but one of the things that you are communicating is that people need to stay open to opportunity, right? Be, be ready to, to say yes to that thing. So that way you don't go to your grave regretting the things that you didn't do. So my question to you, Scott, is how, can, how do you or how, how, how can you help somebody really develop that, that outlook of staying open to opportunity? Staying open to opportunity. That's a good question. I think uh, part of it is, you know, not not to use a fear tactic, but um, one one thing is that um, it's a horrible, horrible feeling to to, as I've mentioned, be wondering about what might have been. And so, when an opportunity presents itself, you never know when when an opportunity presented itself for me to write this book. You know, I always sort of thought before that um, when the, when the publishing company reached out to me. Um, uh, I, I had sort of believed before that uh, writing was just something I would be doing in my free time, and then be you know working my another job, and, and you know I, I would be good at writing, and I'd be helping my friends with the cover letters, but um, that it was it was just going to be a side note. But then you know this opportunity came to write a book, and you know I had all my classes, and I would I had other family stuff going on, and you know it, it would have been easy to just say, well, you know I, I just I don't have time for this. Um, but I said, no, you know, like, this sounds like a good opportunity. I'll put in the extra hours. It's basically like taking an extra class. And this is, even though it was one of the hardest semesters I was doing, I was like, well, I'll take this extra class. I'll write this book. And so, and now I'm a full-time writer. And I think that just goes to show that um, um, when opportunity presents itself, like, like hop through the window of opportunity before it closes, because it's not going to come again. And it doesn't have to be something grand a book you could be talking you know talking to that girl in a bar or or um uh, saying hello to a stranger on the subway just because uh, well not now because of covid but uh in you know and <laughs> you got in your general, mask on you're okay um, when you, yeah you've got your your protective gear on um and uh i think for me anyway my, my advice would be um do it like when something, when an opportunity presents itself, even if it's not on, on your linear path, take it. Cause one on the, on the one hand, you never know where it's going to take you. On the other hand, you don't want to sit there and be kicking yourself, wondering about what might've happened if you, uh, if you had acted. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Scott. Or, um, 
super appreciative of your time. This was fun. And I will put all those links that you rattled off in the show notes so that people can find you and buy your book. Do you have a, a website though, too, for your, for your book? Yeah, I do. It's just Scott Newman writing official.com. Um, and the easiest place to get it is well, not the easiest place. You just buy it on Amazon. Yeah. The website just links to Amazon. If you want to learn more about me and read some of my other writing, um, you can, you can find it on my website, uh, Scott Newman writing official.com. Um, uh, but the, the book, uh, the book itself, uh, you know, in, in, uh, digital and hardcover, you just, uh, grab off of Amazon. And Absolutely. then also I post stuff about the book and, and all that on Instagram all the yeah. time. So yeah. check me out on that as well. Absolutely. Uh, lots of fun, Scott, uh, best of luck with you in the book and, uh, I'll be sure you get a copy of it and I'll leave you one of those reviews because I know it's how, how important that is to, to get it going and build momentum. Yep. Thanks so much. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Yeah, no problem. Well, that was a powerful conversation between men from different generations. There is quite a bit of, of an age gap between myself and Scott Newman. And for me, it was fun. It was fun to get some insight, to get a glimpse into what's behind this younger generation that's coming up and what things are really important to them and what's driving them. And those are all things that I find really interesting as I'm a helper and I help people and I need to be able to connect and understand the different generations. And so I really appreciate Scott Newman for giving me some of his time and I've already purchased his book and I'm encouraging you that, uh, you know, we got into some of the, the content of his book, just some high level overviews of some of the stories uh, that you will find in the book. So I'm going to encourage you to go get his book as well. It's over on Amazon. It is just under $10. And for the young man who's trying to make his name in this world as an author, this is a big boost for him. It takes a lot of guts to do what he's actually doing to have written a book at age 22 and to be promoting it and marketing it the way that he is. That is something that uh, very few people do and definitely people of his age definitely don't do that. So he is a rare example of somebody with vision and doing everything they can to push forward that vision vision and i just have a ton of respect for that so if you want those links social media links and where to buy his book uh, check out my show notes to get the show notes head over to my website and that's www.nixotello.com forward slash t-u-l podcast and you'll find the episode with scott newman and you'll find the show notes and you'll find all the links to connect with him further and to buy his book. I'll leave you with my final encouragement to do something today to realize and reach your potential. If this episode struck a chord with you, let me know. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, five star plus a written review. That helps me out and tell me how this specific conversation, how this episode inspired you and what you are doing with this inspiration. And with that, I bid you well, and we'll see you on the next episode.